was in high school, I left Monterey County, where I grew up, and I went to boarding school in Carpinteria at a school called Kate. Most of the kids at this school were boarders, kids like me who were living away from their families, many of whom lived on the other side of the globe in places like Korea, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, and Ghana. But there were a few day students, students who at the ripe old age of 14 still lived with their parents. Who are these kids? They lived somewhere nearby that they could drive up to the school. I had and still have a good friend named Ross who was one of these day students. Ross grew up in Memphis, but his parents had moved to Montecito a few years before. Their home was absolutely gorgeous. It was like this two-story French country home in the heart of Montecito with a winding gravel driveway, a swimming pool, a trampoline, a huge back lawn that led down to a creek. It was absolutely gorgeous. And in true Southern fashion, Ross's parents were practiced in hospitality with generosity that staggers my mind now, they opened their house to all of us boarders who were away from home, away from family for the first time. And whenever we go over there, over on the weekends, they'd have this amazing spread out for us. They had like fruit, all sorts of great fruit, uh, and you know, kettle chips. <laughs> One of the things that stands out as an example of the really tasty food they always had out was uh, they had you know that milk that comes in a glass jug I think was, I can't remember what it's called but it was the first time I'd, I'd ever seen that and it was by far the tastiest milk I'd ever had I'm sure it was also like one of the first times I'd had like not fat free milk anyway <laughs> it was incredible point being Ross's parents were there and had us welcomed in this way, but they didn't just turn us loose in their house, they talked to us. They listened to us. We'd sit around the pool and talk about what was going on in our lives. And everything they did, they embodied love. At their home, we abided in love. Abide in my love. It's so easy to gloss over that notion, but I love that phrase, abide in my love. I suppose it conjures the comfort and hilarity of the Big Lebowski's most mysterious slogan. Can you call it for me? The Dudabines! <laughs> exactly. Like Lebowski, I'm uh, less attracted to conformity, per se. But I want to dive headfirst into that secondary, locative notion of abiding in love. To live in it. Be surrounded by it. Inhabit love. Roost, nest, lodge, perch, reside. Abide in my love, and I will abide in you.
in this simple suggestion, Jesus is offering a theological shift. In antiquity, the divine resided at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. At least the divine showed up there from time to time. Then the divine presence was said to travel with the Ark of the Covenant. And similarly, God's spirit dwelled in Jerusalem. We hear the psalmist longing to abide in God's temple, such as in Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In John, Jesus is saying that the divine will abide in you when you follow the love that Jesus modeled. Love rests in you. You become the locus of love. All of us have those places where we have felt love. Places where the divine has been readily apparent, so-called thin places, but also places where you have been surrounded by love, where you abided in love and felt connected to everyone and everything in that place, right? I was um, reading a blog from a place that is notorious for that for a lot of spiritual pilgrims. There's a a place called Lorien in in Scotland where a lot of folks go on spiritual retreat. And uh, I came across a blog post they had that describes this sort of place where people are abiding in love. They said, there's a word in Old English that describes a quality of relationship with place that I believe many of us love or long for but don't know how to describe. The word is pronounced kith, much like the modern English word that descended from it. Kith is basically a lost word. During the Industrial Revolution, it lost its original meaning. Uh, We lost this notion that, that we'll come back to, and it's kind of descended into the one place it really stands up in common culture is in a phrase some of you might know, kith and kin. You heard this phrase, kith and kin. When we hear that, we think it is redundant. We think it means just friends and family. But no, kith, K-I-T-H, originally meant native land or country. Not just in the sense of one's place of birth, but a place in which you settle into your heart and expand your awareness outward to recognize and honor and embrace everything around you. Kith. As I'm reading that, I can't help but think of Lummy Island for Lillian. For those of you who don't know, she lived up on an island up in, uh, up in Washington State. Uh, absolutely gorgeous place. You should ask her about it and, and read her poetry about it. It is striking. I love that many of the places that are kith for us are wild places. Wild places. Love is not soft and sweet and tamed. My friend Ross's dad, Tom, this guy I was talking about earlier, the one who's in whose home we abided in love, 
Tom has and still <laughs> had and still has an unparalleled sailor's tongue. <laughs> He's a big man, like 6'8", with a big voice. And he curses like you would not believe. Um, and it's, it's poetic. It's beautiful. It inspires authenticity. But it is wild. Tom turns 70 today. And in honor of his birthday, friends and family made a video celebrating the things that we love about Tom and, and some memories that we have about him, including his wild profanity. <laughs> but one of my favorite messages uh, in this little video came from my friend David McDonough, who was in my class. McDonough was the kid that when he was older, when he was a junior and senior, all the younger kids like ran away from him. <laughs> it was terrifying. In part because he had that kind of profanity, that kind of, like he would just say it, like call it like it is, and it seemed like he was just angry all the time. But now he has two beautiful kids. He married the prettiest girl in the class, two classes above us, and he's living a good life down in Los Angeles. He, in this video, he broke down his kind of tough veneer and talked about how Tom had told him, had taught him, had shown him what love is. He talked about how he modeled what it is to be a parent, to be a spouse, a partner. And now McDonough tries to follow Tom's example to abide by love made known to him through Tom. And McDonough thanked him for giving his time, for giving his attention and giving his resources. And everything from the incarnation to the resurrection and, and today's narrative, Jesus reminds us that love demands that we give ourselves. Jesuit priest and Catholic theologian Karl Rahner says that human nature's meaning is to be given up to God. This is how what we know about human beings through the person of Jesus, giving of the self. He, Rahner also says humanity is filled and fulfilled and finds itself by disappearing into God. This is the sort of thing Jesus is referencing today. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That part, that part that we have talked about a lot recently, this nature of of giving ourselves up in the cross-like fashion. That part is hard, and it's hard because we make it hard. And it's hard unless it isn't hard. For just a second, let's forget about self-sacrifice. Let's forget about physical death. And think about Tom and Jill Flournoy who gave themselves to provide the locus of love, to provide kith, 
They could have been doing something else. They could have decided not to let a bunch of high school kids run rampant all across their house. They gave themselves, they laid down their lives by providing space. And some of you are doing that right now. I kind of love that Madeline is out there with the kids right now because Madeline is always, always opening her home to people who are without a place. Some of those people are running around this room or sitting down and smiling at us right now. I know all of us have received that kind of love, love that took a toll on others. Nonetheless, they gave it freely. It makes me think of how we can serve the 1,500 houseless folks Folks who may be without that feeling of kith by doing little things like providing safe parking here in our parking lot, which we are doing. And we're actually getting two new students that will be parking in our parking lot overnight as part of that safe parking initiatives. The Flournoys eventually had to give up their beautiful home in Montecito. Tom's business fell on hard times, the family got sick, they moved back to Memphis, and they had to declare bankruptcy. The home in Montecito was on Pepper Lane, just up the street from the intersection of Olive Mill and Hot Springs that was the poster child of the destruction in January's mudslides. You might remember that I biked into Montecito shortly after to go look around, even though it was still closed. I was biking to that house. I was biking to that kith. The house still stands miraculously, but everything around it is gone. The landscape around it is gone. All of the other houses around it are gone. It is an island surrounded by destruction and mud. When it gets hard, when you're scared, hurt, or angry, when you're buried in the headlines or surrounded by muck, close your eyes. Breathe deeply and return to your kith. Return to the locus of love. Allow that place where love abides to become you so that you become the kith. You become the place where love abides, wherever you are. Amen. Amen.